0: Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to Episode 6, Disrupting the Whiteness of Wellness. Welcome back to Awareness Offerings, our sixth episode. After a brief and unexpected hiatus last week, it just got a little bit wild. Right now, Mercury is in retrograde. Actually, today is the last day. And Mercury retrograde is this astrological phenomenon in which the alignment of the planets makes it appear that Mercury is moving backward. It's not actually moving backward, but that backwards cosmic energy makes things feel a little chaotic here on earth. And I was really feeling that last week to the point where it just became impossible to record a podcast episode. So glad you're here, especially and welcome back to us all. I'm really excited to have my very first guest on the Awareness Offerings podcast this week. And before I introduce you to her, let's just go into our opening ritual, singing the sound of Om one time as always, Om being the sound of consciousness, the fundamental vibration of awareness. We just want to call out to that and ask it to be in this space with us. And as always, you can do that silently or out loud. If you're coming along, I'll invite you to get your body into any comfortable position, Feel free to close your eyes or soften your gaze toward the ground underneath you if it's safe for you to do so right now. We'll take a deep breath in through the nose. Long, deep release, just clearing the path for consciousness. Inhaling for one ohm. Oh. Thank you for joining me in that practice and this week i am joined for discussion and practice by lindsay kumari jaya a dear friend and community member and fellow teacher in my life lindsay kumari jaya is an international mindfulness and mobility specialist committed to bringing approachable techniques and simple tools of mindfulness to her students Through conscious breathwork and compassionate movement practices, she offers a comfortable opportunity to connect, to balance, and to dive into intuition. She is also a Latine practitioner working in the wellness space with the intention of disrupting the whiteness of wellness. Welcome, Kumari. Awesome. How are you? I'm so well and I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. What an exciting time that we get to spend together today. Yes, I'm feeling very aware that this is the last day of Mercury Retrograde, so I'm so excited to of you know, be in community with you and usher ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. <laughs> usher ourselves into a new era together
1: been a whole week so I'm glad that we've been on parallel but um, complementary
0: paths yes I saw you with your hands over your hearts uh, when we opened up this call so how about we do that let's just hold our hearts and take a couple breaths together to open does that sound good that sounds amazing beautiful so we'll just breathe in deeply through the nose and out We'll do that maybe three more times. Just starting to hold ourselves in a space of loving awareness, to hold space for each other in this conversation. We'll do one more deep breath in. And back out. Okay. Well, I'm really excited to have you as my very first guest on the Awareness Offerings podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm so honored.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when I saw you recently, we caught up to just talk about the work that you're doing in the world. And that's when I heard you say this really powerful kind of put this really powerful intention into the world of I'm interested in decentering whiteness and wellness. And so first just talk about the work that you're doing in the world right now that has inspired you to be sitting in this place.
1: Well, thank you for asking me um, about this work because I've been holding it really close to my heart. Um, It's something that feels like I've been building my whole life to offer this work, but um, basically like You know, quarantine, COVID had us all really sitting with what is most important to us, uh, what we uniquely bring to the world, and each of us have individual offerings. And I was in that space as well where I was really trying to figure out what I bring to wellness because there, I mean, I became very aware along with everybody else of how saturated the market is. Um, If we're speaking from like a, a consumerist perspective, there's a lot of different options for wellness and mindfulness. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I was bringing something really close to my heart to the offerings that I bring to the world. So in sitting, a lot of meditation, a lot of divination, um, I really came to the fact that, uh, and you and I have had discussions about this personally, but I have a unique background in that I am Latine. I was uh, always addressed as a, uh, a Mexican-American person. Uh, But I grew up with parents who were Caucasian, white, very American and conservative. So I've always had this experience of being othered. And that experience carries over into my experience in the yoga and wellness world as well. So I've been to, as you know, uh, Tara Devi, I've been all over the world. I've taken classes all over the world. And particularly when I was in uh, Southeast Asia and I presumably should have looked like uh, more like the people that I was joining in class with darker skin and darker features. But I would go into these westernized uh, wellness spaces like retreat centers and um, not really gyms, but you know, like fitness spaces. And I would walk in expecting to feel welcomed, and I would feel very othered by people uh, that look very different than me. So very tall, very slim, and very white. And I find that even as a teacher, sometimes when I walk into the room of people that look like the cover of, uh, you know, what the past 15 years of Yoga Journal would have been, and I don't exactly look like the people uh, that are in my classes. So all of that to say, in my background, I wanted to take away that feeling of being othered for all of my students, Uh, whether that means that you have different abilities than your fellow classmates or whether you look a different way than your fellow classmates, uh, that striking phrase of decentering whiteness just means everything, getting rid of what we think of as wellness is. And I will frequently bring people to the idea of the cover of Yoga Journal, like somebody in a really beautiful pose, a very complicated looking pose, a challenging pose, we might say, um, and the face that looks... White. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. I don't want to mince words, but uh, for my entire experience in yoga, the white perspective has always been prioritized. So getting away from what we may have studied in yoga 3,000 years ago and focusing more on the beautiful uh, spandex clothes and, like I said, like very acrobatic looking poses, which... Honestly, I try not to teach. I don't teach handstands. I can point you to many students, inc- or many instructors, included, including Tara Devi, that can teach you these really um, ambitious poses. But my poses are about taking away what it looks like. Maybe that's what I'm trying to get to. So taking away what you think yoga is supposed to look like. Unfortunately, that's typically like a, a white yoga experience and focusing more on what it feels like.
0: Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that rich uh, primer on where you're positioned in this work, uh, especially when it comes to disrupting what we have come to think of as wellness, like you said, from this very white centered perspective. And I'm really glad that you took the time to explain kind of what that means to you, because, you know, you, you use the cover of Yoga Journal as an example, uh, a publication that's very popular, that has very, frequently historically featured uh, white folks who are bendy and small bodied. And, and when I think about the whiteness of wellness, I think about, you know, scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through social media. And if you go and click on the yoga hashtag and look at the posts that people are making and, you know, Instagram sorts posts into most recent and most popular. And if you go to the most popular posts on, on the yoga hashtag, even now that, folks have been starting to have conversations like this for, for a few years, you still scroll through and see a lot of small bodied, very bendy white people. And what I hear you saying is that that idealization and representation is othering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all seen a big shift. Let's take it a little bit more general and remove the whiteness from it all. Um, Speaking of scrolling on Instagram, I've recently in the last two or three years, you know, we've embraced more natural bodies, right? Like not Photoshop bodies. And even myself, I'm in my 30s. Um, I've had some big awakening to how representation really affects my mood, my my self-confidence, the way that I look at myself. So if we're just constantly scrolling and we see lingerie ads, um, super cute lingerie, but on bodies that are completely unattainable because they're even unattainable for the person that had They were taken of, you know, like (laughs) photoshopped of an already slim, uh, you know, fit, quote unquote, fit presenting body. Um, so I've seen a shift in the way that I think of my own body based on the fact that I see these bodies represented more naturally in, on Instagram and that carries over into our perception of wellness. And in particular, wellness is like a triggering thing for people, you know, it's, it's prescriptive, we're very, we're prescribing things, you know, like we're not, you have a, a different background than I do and, and possibly a more academic background when it comes to psychology, um, and we often in our teaching we're, we're suggesting, it's a very suggestive practice. Um, you and I, I think mm-hmm. we're very uh, open. I think that we're very permissive. I think that we create a lot of safe spaces for people. Um, but this is an inherently prescriptive practice that we are approaching. So mm-hmm. it can be super triggering if you aren't represented physically, you're not going to approach the practice. Um, a lot of the brands that I'm consulting right now, mm-hmm. that is one of the main things that I push. It's like you, your bodies are going to be varied. The people that come to your classes are going to be varied. And if you want to attract people of differing backgrounds, you have to present peers, people that you can relate to from differing backgrounds as well. So, yeah, it's it's been a really big shift. And you and I personally know people who have who are not white, who are uh have different representation for the Black community in particular. They've been on the cover of Yoga Journal, but it is still uh, very heavily centered around the white perspective and the white body and the white slim fit active body.
0: Mm. And I hear you using all this, this language around, you know, how representation affects your mood and how the practice of wellness can be really or even just the the idea of wellness can be triggering to people. And so it sounds like there's a conversation to be had around like how the whiteness of wellness and really just the, uh, any narrow-minded view of what wellness is impacts our mental health, right? You and I are both working in the yoga space and yoga is a practice of well Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is it's really hard to be well when your mood and your nervous system is impacted by this othering.
1: Definitely something I've personally struggled with. Um, I think oftentimes, especially when I'm with peers, I bring us back to the reality that the version of yoga that we're doing today is inherently different, intrinsically different, completely different than what a yogi in the mountain would have been studying 3,000 years ago. Um, and we've adapted to fit our culture. Uh, we we bring in the Sanskrit, Sanskrit whenever we can, uh, but it's, it's different than being raised in a culture that just immerses you in these things that you and I have spent years in your studying. Mm. Um, so I try to remind people that we're already doing a different version of wellness, yoga, uh, I call my, my practice mindful mobility we're already doing it differently so we owe it to the folks that are stepping up to participate in this wellness to represent them accurately and avoid what we might have thought of westernized beauty you know the beauty standards this is all intermingled i feel like um because when we're promoting ourselves yeah i tend to pick the photos of myself that i think i look the best in Um, And if we prioritize the idea of wellness around the white body, then we're always going to represent wellness through the white body. And although I have many European features, when I walk into a room of people that speak Spanish, it is presumed that I speak Spanish. Mm. Um, So that's just an offering of like what small things that sometimes white people don't even my own parents, my adoptive white parents, they I've had to sit them down a few times and and say, like, Mom, Dad, when we walk into particular spaces, you enjoy this anonymity that I do not always enjoy because it is presumed simply because of how I look that I'll be able to relate to somebody via language. Um, and that's a big assumption that people make about me a lot where my my Spanish is not as great as I would like it to be. Um, but that carries over into the wellness space as well. If we assume that everybody who's thin bodied is going to have strength in their practice of yoga, that's incorrect. You know, I know a lot of myself, I went through a long period of time where I was, quote unquote, training for yoga. I was very slim, possibly underweight. Um, and... At that time, people told me how fit and healthy and beautiful I looked, when in reality I was struggling deeply with self esteem and how much to eat every day. Uh, mm. So we can't take the the presum- or the the physical appearance of wellness. We've got to detach that. That's I guess that's what it comes back to. Like regardless of whether or not you are associating wellness with whiteness, we have to bring more representation into the varied amount of bodies that come to move. That's simply all I'm asking my students to ever do is move. And movement belongs to no culture. Movement belongs to no race uh, or language. So thank you for hearing me out on all of these things that I feel like we're just now starting to talk about in, in this space. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, it's incredibly powerful, just the, the, the democratization of movement. It sounds like it's the work that you're doing. Um, yeah. And I'm feeling curious about just I the what you just shared, it kind of brought to the forefront of my mind, all the assumptions that we make, whether it's when we see a person who is not white, and we assume that they are going to have certain kind of cultural affinity, or we see a person who is white, and we make assumptions about them, or we see a person's body, and we make assumptions. And it sounds like the the practice of disrupting whiteness and wellness is really a practice of releasing assumptions over and over again Mm -hmm. yes
1: absolutely it goes beyond whiteness that is the the space it is a controversial way to say this and it's true it's rooted in fact I mean you know the United States is kind of based on this perfect example of whiteness Mm -hmm. um on the backs of all of the people of color that helps make that possible but I just yeah, I I think that's a beautiful way to say that. And I've never thought of it before that way. But yeah, definitely. The disruption is, the controversy is something that I would like to be of the past. Like this shouldn't be disruptive. This shouldn't, this shouldn't be controversial that, you know, yes, for many, many years in wellness and fitness in, in the gym culture, whiteness has been prioritized and when people of color come in and rock it out and do something really cool we're like tokenized and like, Mm. look how cool this person of color is is doing the thing that we white people have been doing forever, which is not is simply not true, you know they're all parallel paths and we've prioritized the visualization of whiteness in fitness. yeah, it's it's such an interesting practice. It's I'm still discovering what this means to me as I do these talks with you, as I talk with my peers, um, all of my team at the current business that I'm working at are white, and they're all open to hearing all of these things because we're all acutely aware of these tensions. Mm. We're, we're all we all recognize it when somebody walks in the room and they feel like they don't belong. We all feel that. Um, I don't want to presume that everybody feels that, but many of us. Pres- perceive someone's discomfort when they walk into a space. And it's maybe about white teachers uh, recognizing that and and maybe not doing anything about it. You might not be able to do anything about the fact that you recognize that your student is uncomfortable in the space. You might just have to sit with the fact that you Mm. didn't create a space that was diverse. You didn't create a space that felt welcoming to all. And to be clear, a space doesn't have to be diverse to be welcoming to people of different backgrounds. Mm. Maybe it's more than just uh, approachable language. Maybe it's more than an approachable space. Maybe it's your own attitude. You know, Mm. if you immediately recoil because you have a student, a a class full of people that don't look like you, that's maybe some introspection that you need to, to look at. Mm. it's, It's very complicated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a practice of both releasing assumptions and being able to sit in the discomfort when we go into that space of, oh, we're, we're feeding into this tension. We're feeding into this, um, kind of stereotypical, Uh, not as welcoming, you know, environment. Uh, So thank you for that. Thank you for offering that. Um, And what I hear you saying really is that eventually you have a hope that it's not about disrupting the whiteness or the stereotypical nature of wellness, because eventually, hopefully it's not a disruption. It's just the natural way that we do things, um, that we move as consciously as possible and that we welcome as many people as possible.
1: Yeah my least favorite things to experience is when I take a uh, and I guess I okay let me people aren't seeing me right now I look like a yoga instructor (laughs) I I dress like somebody who is magic and people when they learn that I am a yoga instructor um, that makes sense to them right but sometimes I'm with fellow yogis fellow practitioners fellow instructors that don't look like yogis They don't, you know, whatever that means, whatever the stereotype is in your brain, it might not necessarily be that. And it's really uncomfortable for me and friends when I bring, for example, a black friend to a yoga class. And, you know, I look, again, I look like I've done this stuff for a really long time. I lean into that. Um, It's honestly part of my marketing of myself. I look like this practice. Uh, But not all of my friends do. And... It's really disheartening when, you know, you're introducing a, an, a friend to a, an instructor and they're like, oh, wow, you do yoga and yeah. they don't even realize it. They don't even realize what they're saying. Um, some do and, and they look very uncomfortable after they've made these expressions, um, specifically when I bring like uh, my boyfriend, my partner. He's he's Asian-American. He does not look half Chinese and half white, but he is and he looks actually a little bit more middle eastern that's the presumption mm-hmm. that people make about him and mm-hmm. often he's he's always getting this oh wow is that something from your culture you know and oh. it's just it's there's these very strange assumptions that specifically white people make that I don't encounter with black American people or uh, Latin a people. I don't really encounter these things because maybe it's that we as people of color as people from that look different than the American dream uh, perhaps we're already used to that. We're already used to all of our friends and family not looking, quote unquote, like what they're supposed to look like, which really is just code for whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all about decoding. And, right. and like I said, I grew up in a white household. So this, all of this stuff was happening around me. I was being included in the whiteness. I was told that it would be easier if I said I was white, which mm-hmm. wasn't wrong. There are Mm. lots of situations where if I lean into my Southern accent that I could reproduce for you right now, (laughs) but I, um, things happen, different things happen for me when I lean into the whiteness I was taught. Mm. So I I cannot ignore the fact that being able to blend in again, I have, I, I, depending on the group of people I'm with, I am, I, I experience different identities. If I'm with a group of white people, I experience that white identity. I'm grouped in with that, especially mm. in yoga classes, mm. especially when I have, uh, especially when I am with people that I learn these things with.
0: Yeah.
1: It was presented to me through the perspective of whiteness, or at least through the perspective of westernization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but inherently, westernization, we mean whiteness. That's what it right.
0: means. Yeah. So, And it all does feel, it feels rooted in the assumption that whiteness is the norm, which is an assumption. We talk about all these assumptions, and this seems like the deepest underlying one that pervades not only yoga, but all of our culture. And it just happens to be replicated in the spaces of yoga in the West. Um, The assumption that whiteness is normal, even in a space where we're practicing, uh, you know, we're doing practices that come from a culture that is not Western, that is not rooted in whiteness we're still making the assumption that whiteness is the norm. So anyone who's not practice or anyone who is practicing, who's not white or not, doesn't fit the uh, assumed stereotype for yoga. It's like, wow, that's so surprising oh, that you yeah. do yoga. Yeah. 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 It's true. Very
1: true. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, I was, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, with speaking about this, we also have to talk about wealth. Mm -hmm. so a lot of the time you talked about the Instagram scrolling and the the things that are most popular, they're in these beautiful locations with like palm trees and and I'm guilty of it too. You know, I traveled to teach yoga and I definitely capitalized on the opportunities to take gorgeous photos of myself in yoga poses. Mm. Um, But that communicated a wealth, which honestly wasn't very true. I mean, this is just a little bit of side about yoga, the business of yoga. Um, Oftentimes when you travel and, you you know, you're in these beautiful locations, they're on trade, you know, you're you're not like, I wasn't really gainfully employed Mm -hmm. when I was doing these things. I was breaking even and a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I was was presenting myself as this yogi who was making so much money without saying that I was making a lot of money, which I was Mm -hmm. not making a lot of money, but I was following along with the the way that we were taught to present our yoga. Mm. And that was, you know, hand in hand with the, the rise of Instagram. The yep. more beautiful your photo, the more likes, the more, the, presumably the more skilled you are, which is like inherently not true, like completely untrue. Like no matter how beautiful of a pose I can strike, it might be an unsafe and unhealthy pose that I wouldn't feel comfortable teaching to people. There are lots of poses that I do that I don't feel comfortable teaching to people. Mm. Um, so going uh, sorry looping that back a little bit it's a lot of the time the way yoga is presented it's through a lens of wealth and whiteness Mm. um and i am specifically with the work that i'm doing right now definitely decentralizing the whiteness but also reminding people that like you do not have to do your practice in a beautiful location for it to be impactful Will it help to surround yourself with with an environment that is supportive to your practice? Sure, right. Is that a beach for me sometimes, definitely. But also <laughs> sometimes that's like, I mean, I wish y'all could see my my yoga setup at home right now. It's all blankets, <laughs> you know. It's just like props to support my lower back and and a whole bunch of blankets because for me personally, my practice is about maintaining my migraine and chronic pain condition. Mm. So, um. I can take beautiful photos here at my studio, at my office, you know, surrounded by lush green plants. That's awesome. But most of my own personal yoga is done in the dark. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't really see my surroundings around me because I'm trying to go so inward into my body that it, I, I actively try to block out the space around me. So there's a lot of deep work that gets done in my own divination, in my own meditation, my own physical practice that happens in the dark. And maybe there's some, like... I don't know. There's some metaphor there that, you know, you don't have to be able to see the people around you or the space around you to be able to dive really deeply inward. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I hear from that is, you know, we have gotten so caught up in the visual aesthetic of yoga, especially in the age of Instagram and especially at the intersection of all of these systems that we're living under, which, by the way, thank you for calling us into remembering how you know the the idea of whiteness and centering this certain idea also intersects with wealth and class because it's important to remember how these things are all tied you know basically just these systems of supremacy <laughs> they're all very tied to each other um but in in you know practicing in under these different systems we've gotten so caught up in the visual that we've forgotten that it's actually about drawing away from the external at least for you know a time being to go so deeply inward that we can bring more of our authentic selves into the world, but that really doesn't happen through the visual medium. It's an inward practice. And so that's what I I hear you calling us into. And, you know, in talking about how your, your practice is so much at home, it's all, it's very, you know, dimly lit and there's blankets everywhere. And you talked earlier about how you don't really teach a lot of ambitious poses. I'm just, I'm feeling curious about how perhaps one of the ways that we can disrupt the the whiteness, which really, like, like we said, is really just about a form of supremacy. One way we can disrupt that is restfulness, right? Like not needing to be the best at everything or have the most, you know, beautiful yoga poses or go the deepest into a pose or do the most ambitious poses. Just restfulness feels like a practice of disruption to me. But tell me how that lands for you.
1: Ooh, I got chills when you said that. Um, I've been following this account on Instagram for a minute called the NAP Ministry. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I I could have presumed that you've that's come upon your radar. Um, the account is run by a black person, and they speak. It could be a team. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I definitely know that it is from the perspective of a black human, and they speak often about how rest is a form of resistance mm. and that even that Tara Devi has been taken by white supremacist ideas. Okay. Le- not necessarily white supremacists, but you know what I mean? Like the supremacist idea of totally. Yeah. Um, to sell things, to market things. Like people have taken those same ideas to sell retreats in beautiful, wealthy locations in Costa Rica and all over the world. Mm. Um but the root of that work is more about how we've been called into this society, this hustle culture, the grind culture, the pull yourself up from your bootstraps culture that completely erases the the reality that people are given different circumstances, um, different legs up on things. And uh, yeah, it's just the intersectionality of this all is is sometimes really overwhelming for me, sometimes really emotional. Um myself with my chronic pain condition and migraine condition I fight every single day with my my inner voice about it yesterday was an exact is an excellent example yesterday I took a day off of work which Mm. I have a whole bunch to do so it wasn't really like the best day for me to take off of work but if I didn't the the headache that I had and they're very different spaces for me. The headache that I had would have moved, I know for a fact, it would have moved into a migraine. Mm. Um, so I had to step away from work. And I swear all day yesterday, I was like, you're not productive, you're you're slacking off. Was I though? Was I slacking off if right. I was actually doing, it was more hard work for me to sit still and be quiet and you know sit in darkness for a little while than it would have been for me to get my work done. But it was a a emotional toll on me to sit still right and i'm trying i'm actively trying to unpack that and to undo and it's it's an americanized approach to things i think you know to get to the american dream you have to fight and even the dream that we sell to our immigrants here in the united states we're like what do you mean you had to suffer for 20 years of course you did you know, there were no public health <laughs> initiatives for you available. Who cares? You came here to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, so, yeah, all that to say rest is resistance. And mm-hmm. in order to do it properly, we have to release ourselves from the pressure to achieve. That stretches into wellness, especially, like you said, what was the word? The ambitious poses. Yeah, I. I right. I teach rest and I don't think I've ever said that until today and till this podcast. And I deeply, deeply appreciate you for holding space for this conversation for me to come to that. I teach rest. I teach relaxation. I teach you how to reset yourself. Um, And that is inherently opposite from what was given to me. Even in our incredibly beautiful lineage of yoga, there's still the pressure to, to accomplish something,
0: right? Um, yeah, well, I'm grateful for the chance to witness as you claim who you are as a teacher in a deep way. That's really beautiful, and thank you. And you know, you 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 spoke about how a lot of this is about you know this Americanized ideal of of achieving, and um, you also spoke earlier about you know the the how the way that we do yoga in this Westernized way is in contrast with the practices of yoga that were taking place 3000 years ago. And I hear you talking about sort of classical yoga that, you know, even though we are, we are in a Westernized lineage, we have been taught that yoga does go beyond asana and there, you know, the physical poses, there's more to yoga than movement. Um, And so I'm feeling curious about how you feel like those practices, those classical kind of more ancient and, Beyond physical yoga practices intersect with this decentering of, of supremacy in yoga today. Ooh, that's a juicy
1: question. Mm. Um, wow. So a lot of things just went through my brain as you were saying that. And one of the things <laughs> one of the things that come to mind most is from our own lineage, which is you're not the doer. Mm. You know, you're not the, (laughs) so there's lots of different things that I bring to my practice. A lot of my motivation is the union between my body and my mind. Mm. So I've, for my, nearly my whole life, as young as probably 10, I've just had chronic pain and we could talk for hours about how that's affected me. Um, But the (sighs) separating myself from my body the worth of my body has been this huge journey of mine since I was probably about 10. I feel very limited sometimes for my body, which is surprising to some people because I am thin and I appear happy. Um, I, the breath work is where the magic is for me. Mm-hmm. So I like to attempt to shed these things with and pair that in my mindset with an actual breath. Um, and it's really simple. This, this breath is so simple. It's literally just a sighing breath away. And it's a little practice that I think we all do without even knowing that it's a practice. How mm. many times, to- I mean, maybe this is homework for, for anyone who's listening to this podcast. As, after this podcast, track how many times a day you take a deep inhale and go, <sighs> and you let something go. Right. Whether that means like oftentimes for me, that exhale, it's like, okay, let me reset. Let me get back to what I was doing for some people. For my partner, for example, a lot of the time he'll sigh really heavily and I'll be like, are you okay?" And he's like, oh, yeah, I was just like letting something go. I was just letting go of the stress of what and he's he's a yogi, but he's not a a super. um, He hasn't practiced all the time. He hasn't practiced regularly. Right. uh, But that's something that's very natural for him to exhale to reset so when it comes to not just the physical postures i go to my breath probably at this point like at least 50 times a day at least 50 times a day i know that sounds crazy but like i'm checking in with my heart i'm checking in with my mindset i'm checking in like how am i holding my body where does the breath go in the body when i take a deep breath in and that's been transformational i cannot tell you how and this journey started about a decade ago, but I can't tell you how much more uh, close to my anxiety I feel when I'm aware of my breath. A lot of the time I hold my breath. So I increase my own anxiety in anxious moments that way. So yeah, the breath, that's my Mm.
0: answer. (laughs) Yes. You know, you know that I'm a, a student and devotee of the breath. So I love that answer. And I'm grateful that you linked it in back to embodied practice, right? Not just a cognitive way we can start to think about oh, how do we de-center supremacy in in the wellness space? You you offered a practice that simply breathe, right? And like remember your breath and be aware of where you are and how you are. And that's one way to call in that that restfulness and to give ourselves space to realize when we're making assumptions. All those different layers we talked about, it feels like the breath gives us space for all of that. And I appreciate you giving us uh, embodied practice. And so this feels like a good time to invite you to to take us into some practice.
1: Yes, I would love to. And I would also like to touch on the fact that uh, getting back to that prescriptiveness, the suggestion of wellness, um, oftentimes it is annoying when someone (laughs) reminds you to breathe. So if that's the emotion that comes up in this conversation or when you check in with yourself and you're annoyed with yourself for not breathing, that's something to pay attention to as well. Mm. Um, So, we're going to lean into that practice, that sighing exhale, and then we're going to pair it with um, a humming a bumblebee breath. So, this has been on my heart. Will you please say it in Sanskrit? Uh, Brahmari. Brahmari, thank you so much. Yes. Um, I knew I was going to say it wrong, so I appreciate you so much for saying it correctly. Um, For my students, they're not typically versed in Sanskrit. I actually stay away from a lot of those terms. And I lean into terms in English, preferably something cute, and bumblebee is super cute. So um, we'll do three, about three sighing exhales, and then I'll pause to explain to you why and how I um, pulled the bumblebee breath in when I'm feeling frustrated, angry, nervous, uh, anxious. So um, I'm going to go ahead and let my eyelids relax, closed. If you'd prefer to keep your eyes open, you can, of course, find a space in front of your gaze to softly focus. We'll take a deep inhale in through our noses together. At the top of your breath, sip in just a little bit more air than you thought you could breathe in, and then deeply exhale, sighing the breath away through an open mouth. So my yogis will be tempted to keep a very long back here. But for these first two, the the continual two breaths that we're going to move through, really let yourself, when you exhale, crumple. Really let everything fall down. And of course, this is just to exaggerate that expression of letting something go. Typically, I I would suggest that you keep a nice long back. But for these next two breaths, let's really lean into that deep exhale and fall into the breath. Inhale in through your nose. At the top of the breath, sip in a little bit more air. And then exhale deeply. Crumple into your sighing breath. Nice. One more time. Deep breath in. Sip in a bit more air. Open sighing. Deep exhale. Nice okay so as if someone's lifting you through the crown of your head pulling you through a taut string inhale let that breath go on this next breath roll your shoulders up towards your ears draw them back towards your wall behind you and then exhale let them fall this time maintain a nice long extended spine if you haven't already I'd like to invite you to flip your palms so that they're facing up. This is a simple gesture of reception. You're invited to hold the hands wherever they feel most comfortable for you. And we're going to lean into those same sighing exhales. This time with this gesture of reception in the palms. with a long, straight back. (sighs) Now, we'll seal our lips. Come to a natural breath as I speak a little bit to the bumblebee exhale. So we'll inhale in through our nose as natural, but on each of our exhales, with our lips sealed, we'll hum the breath away. And I like to imagine, on the sighing exhale, on this exhale with the humming breath, that it's vibrating away the things that I don't need. And of course, it's a magical imagination for me. I imagine that somehow this vibration keeps all the things I do need and vibrates away the things I do not. So I empower you to visualize the vibration as a cleansing experience. Together, we'll take a deep inhale. We'll take in just a bit more breath at the top. And then we'll hum the breath away. Hmm. this this breath you play with the length of the exhale and you can check in between each practice how long you can hold and sustain the exhales
0: so i'll invite us just to sit for a moment longer together First in gratitude to Kumari, beautiful teacher in the very same lineage in which my own heart is held and just sitting and sharing this space of awareness together, which is kind of anointed very specifically with this deep conversation we've had around envisioning a new way of being in the wellness space. Just giving ourselves a few more moments to let that practice of using our breath to give ourselves space to live differently, but also to perhaps sit in discomfort as we try to create a new way of being together. And from wherever you are, if you're seated with us, we'll invite you to inhale, just stretch your arms to the skies, lift your heart, opening, reaching. And then if you'd like, you can touch your palms and bring your hands to your heart, just honoring your heart in this practice and the practice we've shared together. Kumar Jaya, thank you so much for leading us in practice from your unique positionality and heart space and for joining for this really rich conversation.
1: Thank you for following along with my stream of consciousness. I appreciate you re- rerouting me and getting me back to um, what I'm really saying, the core of the things that I am approaching, which is let's stop making assumptions in the wellness space of what's correct, what's mm. what's premier what's prioritized what even what's attainable what our goals are um, I continue I, I plan to continue to be controversial so uh, we can have these conversations as often as you'd like and if anybody has any questions about Uh, where I'm coming from, if they would like to have a conversation about this, they can always check into my Instagram. I'm at love mindful movement. That's subject to change because we are, we're exploring uh, what, what I am bringing to the wellness space right now. It's, it's mindful movement. So I appreciate you so much.
0: Yes. Thank you for, that was going to be my last question is let us know where we can find you in your work, but you, we were on the same plane. So thank you for sharing that. And and for really just bringing us back to the core of this conversation, which let's let's stop making assumptions and let's be present to the reality that's in front of us, which is really, you know, that's a Shiva teaching. Om um, And I hope you continue to be controversial. Thank you for coming here to be controversial.
1: Mobility for everyone shouldn't be controversial. Mindfulness for everyone shouldn't be controversial. But right now it is. And I'm prepared to, to take up that sword. So. Absolutely. Um, From goddess to goddess, I appreciate you so much. I would love to talk to you more about these things in person and also in any Mm. future episodes that you'd like to have me on. So thank you so much for creating this space.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.